TV Arc on the Arc of E Network. My name is Noah, and this is our coverage of Here and Now, Season 1, Episode 6, entitled Fight Death. Yeah, I did it, people. I'm back on a Tuesday for once. Uh, actually, ahead of schedule, if you will, even though I should have probably had it up Monday night. But that's beside the point. Anyways, I'll go ahead and say up front that it is currently uh, storming. Uh, quite terribly in the Charleston area, so you may hear some uh, some thunder and lightning pops in the background. So please forgive the audio quality, but I need to get this one up. So here here we are. Uh, we'll open with our overall episode description, as per usual. A disturbing revelation forces Ramon to escape into the past. Kristen takes comfort in the music of the Torah. Audrey's old college friend is receptive to her empathy initiative pitch and Greg submits a foreword to Duke's upcoming self-help book. Okay, so we open the episode proper. There goes there goes that thunder. All right, uh, hang, hang there with me, guys. Hopefully we don't lose power or anything crazy like that. Uh, I'm actually going to stop and check audio, see how much you're picking up the rain in the background. Okay, hopefully that's not too offensive to your ears or too terrible. It didn't seem like it was picking up too much, but... Uh, Maybe it'll just add a little atmosphere to the cast. We'll, we'll see what happens. So, uh, right into the episode. We open with uh, Shakrani having a dream sequence. Uh, he comes into his kitchen and sees his mother before him. And um, the phrase, I want to work on my Spanish a little bit, Siempre comiste todos las mariposas, is repeated several times. Okay. And he wakes up saying this. Uh, I should mention, he wakes up from the dream after seeing Ramon smoking a joint in front of him, also in the kitchen. And this was my favorite uh, title card transition we've gotten all season thus far. I blow smoke directly into camera, and we get a blinding white light, and here and now uh, comes through the smoke, essentially. So I thought that was very cool, worth pointing out. But uh, Shikrani wakes up, and he's repeating this phrase, uh, Siempre comos, comiste... Todos las mariposas. And I've got to say, I was pretty proud of myself. My uh, What little high school Spanish is still left in my brain. I heard mariposas and I immediately was like, butterflies, butterflies. Okay, all right, what's going on here? He wakes up, scrambles to write this down. And Layla, of course, tells him that he shouldn't be bothered with all of this. He needs to be focused on picking up the groceries to take to Uncle Amir. Later that evening. We'll get to that. Uh, Shikrani, not too excited about having to go see Uncle Amir. But we do learn in this scene, apparently, Amir was responsible for getting Fareed out of Iran. We also learn that there's some tension over uh, how he was brought up. And I'm sure we're going to get more into that. There's a little bit in this episode. But we'll move right along. Move right along to Greg and Michael. Michael the T.A., uh, who's become quite the recurring character, uh, in their little workout session with Duke. Uh, Michael brings in, essentially, a foreword after reading Duke's manuscript, and Greg's kind of like, "Did wait, you rewrote the foreword for me? He's like, no, I just wrote down my thoughts, but immediately we see the wheels kind of turning, 
uh, because we already knew that Greg felt like he couldn't really connect with Duke's writing and he doesn't really get it. That's why he turned it over to Michael in the first place, which we knew was a recipe for disaster. Uh, and we get more ingredients for that recipe as this episode progresses, but it doesn't quite, uh, come to a boil if we want to totally take the cooking metaphor all the way. Uh, anyways, so during their workout session, uh, Michael reveals to Duke like, Hey, I really dug it. And I, it reminded me of your father. Now, a lot of this seemed like he was just, you know, saying what he thought Duke wanted to hear, obviously, not that he was asking for it, but Michael volunteers is all, you know, seemingly with good intentions, but I was like, this is terrible because is he about to get handed the uh, forward that's been slightly adapted by Greg, but totally no, based on something in that conversation, that it was bullshit, but it didn't go that way, and it definitely subverted my expectations, so we'll, we'll get to how all of that plays out. A, a key thing here, obviously, we still have the growing tension of, like, Michael as Greg's adopted surrogate son, essentially, at this point. And again, his white son, I think that's very key to point out. It's it's right in front of our faces, and it's very a little bit more subtly hinted at in this episode. But there's a, uh, a story that Greg reveals that he used to be uh, a bit of an athlete, and he gave it up when his brother died in Vietnam, apparently in a an area not too far from the village where Duke was eventually found. And this is like, uh, I thought, a great scene uh, for Tim Robbins in general, and finally kind of solidified a little bit more for me, Duke and Greg's relationship. Because you've had Duke seemingly kind of wanting his respect, but also not wanting to be in his shadow simultaneously. It's kind of weird, you know, thing to navigate i would i would assume so uh obviously he doesn't like michael being along for the ride of this like what would have been you know just a great day between them presumably but greg wanted to bring him as a buffer and i think he while he may seem rather absent-minded about it he's got to be somewhat aware of the the tension that there is between them so again giving him the manuscript, or the forward for the manuscript, rather. Uh, we're waiting to see how it's going to play out, but we do know by the end of this episode, given what uh, Duke witnesses, that he uh, is going to tell the publisher that maybe Greg wants another crack at it. So we'll see what that entails, and we'll get to uh, why exactly Duke goes that way with the manuscript a little bit later, as if you haven't already watched the episode. But... I, I have talked to a handful of people that are not even watching the show and are just listening to this as their way to experience it. So hopefully I'm being somewhat comprehensive, but go go watch the show if you're not people. Like, I mean, watch it and then come back and talk about it together. Be, be a fun time. So let's, uh, let's move on to Ashley. Uh, she wakes to find an email from Jamila, uh, who we met in the previous episode, and it has an attachment of the video with Audrey that was on the local news uh, where she was edited in a somewhat uh, unflattering light. But she did say those things. I think she was just very, very unconscious of how it was going to come off in the moment. Anyways, Ashley is uh, noticeably upset with about this when she addresses it with uh, Audrey later. But the, uh, the big thing to mention with Ashley in this episode, beyond what happens at school, which we'll get to in just a second, is her new Krav Maga class that she's attending. 
And she makes a new friend there who uh, carries a gun, which is very not so subtly hinted at. Wonder if it's going to come into play? Not really sure. But uh, we get the title of the episode here. Uh, the trainer, leader of the class, uh, is telling all of them to fight death. So there you go. Episode six, fight death. So interested to see where uh, this goes. Of course, she was inspired to kind of take this action based on her running with the cops after the uh, incident at the abortion clinic. So I, I'm interested to see if this is going to come to a head within this season. I, I don't know, given the pace of some of the other things in the show thus far, if, if that's something we're ultimately building to. But we'll see what happens. But for now, school is the big thing. And uh, Haley, Ashley's daughter, is very upset because a young girl named Chloe uh, called her poopy because she's brown. And Ashley tries to, very diplomatically, I thought, address this with Chloe's mother. Uh, but essentially gets, gets shot down and gets the, you know shit-eating grin of a smile uh, and a little bit of blowback over the fact that apparently uh, Haley called Chloe a name, a carrot top, I believe, at some point, or a carrot head. Uh, so, yeah, not really sure how we should be taking this, but immediately on Ashley's side because, uh, you know, I why should any kid have to be put through that and why would a parent not, like, actually acknowledge that their kid could have said something like that, whether they got it from them or not, even though that's the implication. But, uh, yeah, incredibly uncomfortable uh, scene to watch, but really well-acted and well-written, I thought, and leads to some more interesting tension with her and uh, her husband, who, again, whose name I refuse to say, who uh, officially achieved the status of the least woke uh, character, if we, if I'm allowed to use that word, uh, definitely the least woke character on here and now, uh, completely just tone deaf, takes the other mom's side, uh, seemingly out of nowhere and is lumping this in with all of Ashley's seemingly erratic behavior recently. And I just, I'm consistently amazed by his inability to see the grander picture or to empathize with his wife, with his partner. I just, I don't get it. I, I hope he has some sort of moment of clarity before the season's over or that, you know, something that slaps him in the head. Maybe, maybe that's what needs to happen to Ashley's husband. Ashley's husband, again. Uh, anyways, uh, Kristen meets up with Ramon to show the video that she and Naveed took of Henry uh, down at the the homeless tent. So, in typical fashion that you kind of expect from these situations in these types of shows, uh, he doesn't immediately have the presence of mind to be like, thank you for showing me this. Like, I understand it would have been hard for you to bring to my attention. He immediately lashes out uh, at Kristen. And why would you follow him? Why are you assuming all of this? You know, this is not a game. This is not one of your gay porn movies, I believe he points out. Uh, because she seems, again, to have kind of a fascination with other lifestyles, but maybe not an actual, like, appreciation or understanding of the, the dynamics of them. So, uh, again, Krista, I, 
I, sometimes she can't get out of her own way. But in this case, I, I feel like Ramon, there's probably going to be a conversation shortly thereafter where he apologizes. So, Or I believe they actually make up later that evening. I, I'm trying to remember if we got that in this episode. Anyways, um, so Ramon uh, immediately confronts Henry, uh, calls him out in front of his entire work and a, a room full of people. Uh, they immediately go outside, and it's basically you. You lied to me. I don't care if you were, you know, having sex with this other, this other guy or not. That's beside the point. Like you, you're homeless potentially. You never told me you were homeless. That's a lie in and of itself, and just betrayal essentially. So, I I loved the note of the end of this scene though, where it does ultimately end. Where it's I'll put your things outside, and you can pick them up later. And it's just like gives him his key back. He's like, okay, man. They're just like. Two, two bros, all of a sudden, they're just like, all right, that's it. Just, you know, what you would expect, I guess, the typical male response of not getting overly emotional, just like, oh, I'm cool, I'm cool with this, I'm cool, whatever. So, uh, anyways, Ramon is obviously very upset, and uh, he decides he's going to retreat back home and uh, to his old room, hang out with mom and dad, because he has no idea that... Greg has actually been banished, and presumably nobody does, uh, not even Kristen, because uh, Ramon tries to reassure her, like, hey, they used to fight all the time, and he tells, like, a semi-cute story about Tim Robbins shaving his pubes and how they got into a huge fight over it. And it's like, well, this is clearly not that. Uh, if they had a huge fight and didn't speak to each other for a couple days, uh, that's probably going to take a little bit longer to get over the whole Fumiko situation. So, also of note uh, right now would be that Ramon and Shikrani are continually, we're seeing more and more parallels, they are connected in some way, shape, or form. And uh, when Ramon gets back to his childhood room, he finds a box of drawings. Uh, there's a ton of butterfly sketches, or mariposas, if you will. And... Also, one illustration of a woman with four scratches down her face, similar to his dream, and another one who shows a boy's back, uh, which has been scarred up, much like Shikrani's back, much like the image that hangs above his computer monitor in his apartment, much like the character in the game. I need to know where we're going with all of this, people. Uh, Muhammad, if you're listening, I, I cannot wait to see how all of this comes together. And I hope that we get some answers. I need just just some answers. You can introduce new questions, but I need to know what is going on with Farid and Ramon. How are they connected? I'm, I'm not going to posit any theories right now, but it's it's getting weird. It's getting really weird, but in a good way. I'm I'm super intrigued. I just want a little, little bit more clarity. Let's just move a little bit closer to clarity as we as we round into the, uh, the final swing of this season, or the final run of this season, if you will. So uh, let's move on. Audrey, she finally has her meeting with Steve Benjamin. We were told that she'd be talking to the board, but she's actually just presenting to him. And basically, it goes super well. Uh, he tells her she's been thinking almost too small and that this needs to be more of like a global effort and like a, or at least a nationwide effort and go state to state. And that's that's what he wants her to do. So she's got to go back and write up a even bigger budget. So huge success for her. So even though the home life is kind of on the rocks at the moment, she does have this 
kind of new thrust of personal victory and professional victory. So uh, I hope the rug does not get pulled out from under her because I could totally see that happening if the relationship with Steve Benjamin uh, does go south. But I loved their scene together. I really like this actor. I do not have his name in front of me. I've seen him in a ton of stuff. He's one of those great, solid character actors. And I, I hope we see more of him. I, and I again, I like their scenes together. So uh, Audrey comes home and she finds Ramon there. And of course, they're both, you know, rather heartbroken. They've been betrayed by their respective loved ones. And again, Ramon does not know that Greg is not in the picture at the moment. So he's like, can you tell dad to bring home Pock Pock Wings, which I assume is maybe a, a Portland thing. Maybe a local chain, not sure, never heard of them. But uh, she does, she calls him, and she lays out very clearly in awesome Holly Hunter fashion that all you're doing is bringing over food, and the second that Kristen and Ramon go to sleep, you're out, you're gone, you're not staying the night, you know, there's no making amends right now, I'm still pissed, I'm still mad as hell, I'm not going to take it anymore. And I just, I loved it. He comes in, brings the wings, and... They have this, you know, not very subtle for the for the audience, uh, parallel conversation where they're basically like arguing their sides of the argument based on Henry and Ramon's uh, current breakup. And Greg is, of course, saying, well, if you loved him, like that's that's worth salvaging. Maybe you should talk to this guy again. And Audrey is very firm that it doesn't matter um, if you can't trust him. He's not worth, worth your love. You know, she's she's sticking to her guns, for sure. So Ramon retires. Kristen has already gone up for the evening. And now we're left with Greg and Audrey to fight it out again. But Duke, fresh uh, off of dinner, celebrating the forward, the beautiful forward, uh, ghost-written by Michael and uh, slightly adapted by Greg, uh, he says he's going to, you know, take over a nice glass of, I, I think it was Lavaluan, or it might have been McKellen, I'm not sure, I forget, uh, but he's going to take it over the house, and I'm immediately like, oh no, that's where this is going. So, of course, Duke walks in at the exact wrong time, and uh, overhears the argument between Greg and Audrey, but they do not know that he's there, he's able to slink out, and uh, goes home to uh, tell the publisher that Greg would like another crack at it, as we mentioned. So, none of this so far has played out how I thought it would uh, in terms of the kids finding out. Obviously, Ramon and Kristen, still at the end of this episode, don't know any more than they did uh, earlier in it. And Duke is the only one with the information. Now, I would presume that he would share uh, that with Ashley at some point. Uh, but we'll see what happens. I, I'm really, really curious. Uh, the final thing, this was one of the oddest cliffhangers so far, uh, kind of startling. Um, Greg, back in his office, gets a, a phone call from Michael, the TA, and he's very excited because his girlfriend uh, accepted his proposal and they are now engaged. And he's so excited and he's riding on his bike at the time that he does not notice a car door open right in front of him. And he wrecks over the front of it, boom. Line goes dead, and, uh, you know, Greg is left on the other end of the line, kind of mystified. Boom, cut to credits. Uh, so, 
I don't know if Michael is dead. I don't know if he's horribly injured. I, I'm taking I'm taking a wild guess and saying horribly injured, gonna need some rehabilitation, and it's gonna further complicate the relationship uh, between Greg, Michael, and Duke at this point. Also curious to see if Duke wants to abandon the idea of his father's name being attached to him at all at this point. And uh, obviously, a little bit of buried tension over the fact that, as far as we know, Duke's mother was a prostitute. And so now he has heard uh, how Audrey views that, and obviously it's tied to more personal things. But again, race is always at play with most of these characters. And uh, I thought we got a lot of interesting stuff with that. The whole uh, Ashley and her daughter storyline All of that I thought was handled really, really well. Like I said, the confrontation with the mom at school, I thought it was handled like really perfectly. It was perfectly cringeworthy, which is exactly what all of that needed to be. And the later conversation with her husband as well, like also very cringeworthy. And I, I think they're navigating the, uh, the race of it all a a lot better than maybe people had given them credit for initially. And I've, I've seen a lot of people just in general get more turned on on the show. It seems like more people are following it. Uh, the IMDb ratings are going up episode over episode. This one's at an 8.2. So it seems like the people who have stuck with it and the critics that are currently following it are giving it a little bit more of a chance, which I'm really glad to see because I've got to say uh, this episode continues the trend. I, I'm fully on board for this show. I, I really enjoy it. And it is the thing where it has some characters and some elements to it that I'm not always the biggest fan of, but it has so much else that I really, really like about it. Uh, and I'm realizing right now I completely uh, did not get back to Shakrani, my favorite character. So before we totally close out the episode, uh, his interaction with Uncle Amir, who we're only very briefly introduced to, uh, but we say, or we see... Pretty much all we need to know, but I have so many questions. Uh, the man has a, uh, a Trump's Make America Great hat hanging in, in his home. They have a uh, begrudging uh, conversation, which escalates. And Amir uh, refers to Shikrani's mother as a whore, which obviously upsets him greatly. He gets very upset, knocks some things over in the kitchen and sees a bow tie pastry hit the floor. And he is reminded that his mother used to refer to these as butterflies. You used to eat all the butterflies, is the phrase that he eventually translates. Okay? Butterfly pastries, butterflies in the dream. What does it all mean? I have no idea, people. But I'm totally on board. Totally on board. Uh, we get uh, a preview for the next time. We're, I can't remember how many episodes ago I was like, oh, I'd love to see the the game expo that uh, Ramon's going to be a part of. Looks like we're finally going to get it next episode. And I, I'm hoping some like trippy dream sequences set within the game uh, or visions. I, I'm looking for some really cool stuff. And episode seven, uh, I'm interested to see where we're at in terms of if we've moved the ball any further on the Ramon uh, Shikrani connection, if we have any more concrete evidence of what exactly is going on there. Uh, I want more Shikrani background. Obviously a lot of tension there with him and Uncle Amir. I want more of his 
his childhood, his upbringing. And I want more of that for all of the characters. Again, I know we've only got so many episodes and we're trying to tell a current narrative, but those have really been working for me. We, it's been very quick cutty and like a lot of subtle flashes, but at, you know, it's, it's getting there. So interested to see where all of that is going. Uh, if you have any theories uh, to put forth, if you have any commentary on the previous episodes, as always, hit me up, thearchive at gmail.com. You can reach out to us on Instagram at Network on Twitter and Facebook, at The Arc of E. And if you've been listening and enjoying the show, please head over to iTunes and leave us a rate and review. really helps with exposure, and the TV Arc is our youngest cast uh, here at The Arc of E, our youngest feed, if you will. Uh, so we can use all the help we can get. And if you're not already, uh, subscribe to The Movie Arc, The Music Arc, The Four Color Arc, and The Bay of Lynch, and Carpenter Revisited. That's... Uh, all of our other podcasts. If you're not subscribed over there, go do so. We're available on iTunes, Stitcher, and now Google Play for all of you Android listeners. So, uh, I will be back next week, episode seven. Again, thank you for listening. Thank you for all the support uh, for this episode. I have been Noah, and uh, until next week, just remember, live in the here and now. Surely come